Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our morning service, Sunday 9th of February, 2020. This morning we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from 1 Kings, chapter 18, verses 17 to 20, and brings us a message entitled, Preparation for the Contest. We're turning to 1 Kings, chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're going to read from verse 17. Well, let's read verse 16 uh, uh, just before that. 1 Kings 18 verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Father, we thank you for the Bible, the word of the Lord that lives and abides forever. And with our Bibles open, we come to you and ask that you will help us by the Holy Spirit to think about these things that we have read. Grant, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Ahab eventually found out that Elijah was in the neighborhood, but he didn't rush to him with a firing squad or with whatever was the equivalent in those days. On the contrary, he approached him with a measure of respect. The king knew that this was a man who had wielded a power that was not to be treated in a light-hearted vein. At this moment of time, Ahab's whole country was suffering severely under the sentence that had been pronounced by the Lord's servant. And the people were really proving that it's always an evil and a bitter thing to forsake Jehovah and to serve other gods. And this meeting between Ahab and Elijah was to have far-reaching consequences for the whole land of Israel. If I were to give the message this morning a title, I would simply call it Preparation for the Contest. Preparation for the contest. And there are three things I want to draw your attention to this morning as we seek to unwrap these few verses that we have read from 1 Kings chapter 18. I think you'll see, first of all, that there was a false accusation. There was a false accusation. Ahab's greeting of the prophet is very suggestive, is it not, in verse 17? Is it you, troubler? Of Israel. Is it you, troubler of Israel? 
or as we would say, there's the troublemaker. The language of the king to God's servant, Elijah, after the sore judgment which God had sent upon his dominion, revealed the hardness and the sinfulness of the king's heart. When the Lord Jesus Christ was here on earth in the course of his earthly ministry, he taught his hearers many wonderful things. And on one occasion he said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth shall speak. Someone has said, So often the words of our lips betray the state of our hearts. And this was certainly true in this incident. Here we have an illustration of how the enemy of our souls clouds the mind and perverts the judgment of those who don't really believe. There was certainly trouble in the land of Israel. Everyone, without exception, was agreed to that. No one doubted that the land was suffering. But it seems that it didn't occur to Ahab's mind to trace it to sin and idolatry which had spread everywhere like a deadly poison. Temples, altars, prophets, priests, all being affected and as a result defying the living and true God. Apostasy was rife with men's, heart having, men's hearts having turned after other gods and there was no desire either in the part of the king or of the people to have done with evil things. And Ahab here blames the servant of God for the widespread distress and hardship that Israel was suffering due to the terrible famine. Had not Satan blinded the eyes of this callous king blinded his eyes to such a, such a degree that he did not see the fact that the fault lay within himself and not with the prophet of God. Ahab was blind to the fact that sin lay at his own door and that Elijah was anything but a troublemaker. And you know, when you read the scriptures, both of the Old and New Testaments, and when you read history, you discover that this has been the pattern of events over many years. When things go wrong, blame God. When things go wrong, blame a God whom we don't believe in. Blame the God who, in our thinking, doesn't exist. And because he doesn't exist, then we don't do God. But when things begin to go wrong, then let's blame God. And so often, not only is God blamed, but the servants of God are blamed as well. We see that in the history of the children of Israel. Moses, they threatened to kill him. Caleb and Joshua, they threatened to stone them. And so it is down through the centuries of the people of God in Israel... And in the church of Jesus Christ, when Paul and Silas went as missionaries to Philippi, there was insurrection against them. Luke tells us that in Philippi, the multitudes rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And here's what they said. These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. That amazing. These were the very men who were bringing the good news of the gospel. These were the men who were telling them that there is light for their darkness. 
that they were hastening to a lost eternity. And there was a Savior who had died for the ungodly, and the preachers were putting immense blessings in the way of the Philippians. All without money and without price, they were proclaiming the true and only remedy for sin, which had blighted the whole human race. Someone has said that no truer friends of the people ever visited Philippi, yet they were charged before the magistrates with being troublemakers. And as a result, they were flogged and cast into prison. They were cruelly treated for telling the truth. What a wonderful book the Bible is, isn't it? Right up to date. Just looking into our 21st century. Are there still not men and women blinded by the God of this world, devoid of the saving grace of God, who do not care for the truth of the gospel? And do not appreciate the scriptures being read and expounded in their hearing. They prefer to live undisturbed lives in a little world of their own. And any preacher, any minister, any evangelist who dare presses upon them the gravity and consequences of sin are treated as troublemakers. But here's what I want us to appreciate this morning. Even we as believers can be affected by such a spirit. You see, the problem at Corinth was that the spirit of Corinth had got into the souls of the believers at Corinth. Someone has said there is no problem when the ship is in the water. The problem begins when the water gets in to the ship. And believers can be affected by the spirit of the age and misrepresent and falsely accuse the servant of God when the word of God is too pointed. When we feel within us the sharpness of this two-edged sword piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The opposite ought to be true. When the word of God pricks us and convicts us, we should be the first to ask for grace to bow to the authority of God's truth. Is this the word of God? Is this what the Bible teaches us? Is this this what God requires of me? Here was Elijah, like Jeremiah, seeking the welfare of God's people, but as a result being falsely accused. You're just a troublemaker. That's all you are. So there was a false accusation. Not only was there a false accusation, but there was a fearless denunciation. Notice what we're learning this morning. Elijah wouldn't accept the responsibility for the situation in the land of Israel. And with A holy boldness and divine bluntness, he sets the truth before the king. He says, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. And your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed Baal. (laughs) What do you not understand about that? Quite clear, isn't it? Hold on a minute, King Ahab. I haven't caused the trouble. I haven't troubled Israel, but you have. You and your father's house, 
You have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. And you have followed Baal. You see, Elijah belonged to that category of men who are few in number. The kind of man who's prepared to rebuke sin in high places. He denies the foul charge with undaunted courage and he returns the charge upon the king and his household placing the blame where it truly belonged. Here is a witness of the prophet's fidelity and faithfulness. He's just like another prophet, Nathan, who said to David after he had heard a wonderful story about a man and the sheep. He says, David, you're the man. You're the man. You're the man that has committed adultery. You're the man who has murdered. You're the man who has sinned. And Elijah brings the same message to Ahab. Ahab, hold on a wee minute. You are the man. Here is a condemning of sin that was both fearless and faithful. It is said of King Charles II that he was a vile king as ever disgraced the throne of England. And on one occasion he was very much offended with a chaplain for his plain teaching. And he said to this chaplain one day, I will thank you, said the king, to alter your manner of preaching. And the chaplain said, so I will, your majesty, when you alter your manner of living. Don't we need that type of preaching this morning? Do we need that bold witness in a generation where anything goes? Where film stars and TV personalities, and you know what I mean if you've been living in the world from Thursday, are being declared as wonderful, coming out so brave, so acceptable, because they have identified themselves as pursuing a lifestyle that is perverted in the Word of God and calls for the judgment of God as it fell on Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the world in which we're living. And we are to be faithful witnesses. And you'll notice Elijah denounced Ahab for two things. Notice, first of all, he denounced him because of what he had forsaken. You've forsaken the commandments of Jehovah. And therein lay the very essence and heinousness of sin, a throwing off of the divine yoke, a refusing to be in subjection to his maker, uh, to the only wise true God, a willful disregard of the lawgiver, a rebellion against his authority. The king and his family, instead of being an example of submissiveness, were an example of rebellion. Leaders in rebellion against God and the people followed him. They all, with one consent, refused the way which was good and true. And we learned this morning that it's the easiest thing in the world to forsake the ways and will of God. But it's a very sad and serious indictment against the people of God to be charged with having forsaken the commandments of God. Know therefore and see, says Jeremiah, it's an evil thing and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God 
And the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. What does the proverb teach us? That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does the psalmist say? Blessed are those who keep his commandments and seek him with all of their hearts. Here is where backsliding begins. It was the great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon who said, Backsliders begin with dusty Bibles and end with filthy garments. Backsliders begin with dusty Bibles and end with filthy garments. We live in a world that says it doesn't matter what the Bible says. Get a life. Doesn't matter what the Bible says. We live in the 21st century. So what? And we need to be very careful, and I need to be very careful as an exposition of the Word of God, and I am faithful to the text, irrespective of what people might think, that I don't seek the applaud of men, but I seek the approval of God as I seek to expound the Word of God and be faithful to the truth of God. And I need to examine my heart this morning. Have I forsaken the commandment of the Lord? I go to some churches with large congregations and I stand at the door and I'm sure Henry's had this experience. And my heart sinks. Because I wonder sometimes are we going to have the breaking of bread in the car park rather than the church? And people can listen to the word of God and they have their Bibles and they can shake it by the hand and they say, God bless you, that was a great word. You might as well have been preaching on Humpty Dumpty sat in the wall. What authority has the Word of God in my heart? What authority has the Word of God in my life? You see, this fearless denunciation indicated what they had forsaken. And this fearless denunciation indicated what they had followed. You have followed the Baals. What was Baal? Well, Baal was a a self-god. He was looked upon as a fertility deity. He was called the Lord or the God of rain and dew. And two forms of moisture that were indispensable for fertile soil, rain and dew. But it failed. What is the modern day Baal? It's the self-God. It's the sensual God. It is the God that says, me first. It's the God that rises up within me and says, do your own thing. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. Be your own man. Be your own woman. That's the whole philosophy of the commercial world to a large extent. Get to the top. And it doesn't matter who you trample on to get to the top. Make sure you get to the top. The self-made man is what is promoted in the commercial world this morning. But that is not the God-man. You see, the law of God was both definite and emphatic. Its first statute forbid having any other gods other than the one true living God. The second prohibited the making of any graven images and the worship of such. And these were the awful crimes that Ahab had committed. He had turned from the God of heaven to worship Baal. That sensual, selfless God 
You see, idolatry was no new thing among God's favored and chosen people, Israel. They had broken God's heart with their worship of other gods in Egypt and in the wilderness and even in Cana. As a result of the fall, Thomas Adam, one of the Puritans, says, We are all born idolaters. Oliver Cromwell says, Idolatry is anything which cooleth thy desires after Christ. A.W. Tozer writes, An idol of the mind is as offensive to God as an idol of the hand. Oh, we may not come this morning to worship down to any graven statues of this church, but you and I can still be guilty of idolatry. Idols of the 21st century, music, sport, one of the most predominant idols in the world this morning. Lifestyle, homes, prestige, hobbies. You see, the problem of idolatry is still with us in the 21st century. Maybe there are skeletons in all our cupboards this morning that need to be put out. Wasn't it Kuiper in his hymn who said, The dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. There was a false accusation. There was a fearless denunciation which highlighted what they had forsaken and highlighted what they were following. And then you will see as we close, there was a forceful proposition. There was a forceful proposition. Notice what the scripture tells us there in verse 19. He says, Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. I trust we're seeing this morning that the real trouble in Israel was not the prophet, but Ahab the king. Ahab's own conscience, if he had a conscience at all, must have told him that all the prophet had said was true. Elijah demanded that there should be a meeting of the rival parties to sort out the problem. The prophet's design is clear in the light of what follows. What he's about to do had to be done openly, publicly, and before witnesses. The time had arrived when things had to be brought to a head for the sin and evil of this idolatry could not be allowed to go indefinitely without being checked. And there was only one way in which the dreadful drought and the resultant famine could be brought to an end and the blessing of God restored to the nation and that was by the sin which had caused the calamity being dealt with in judgment. Jehovah and Baal had to come face to face, as it were, before the whole nation. They couldn't live comfortably together in the one house. The problem of sin had to be dealt with. And this is why Elijah put a powerful proposition to Ahab. He was concerned that the people should face up to sin in their lives and in their land and that things should be put right between them and God. And the king knew that this famine could not go on and he didn't dare refuse the prophet's request. There are many things this morning that we could draw from this confrontation between Elijah and Ahab, but one thing is certain. Ahab was being forced to come to terms with the reality of his own sin. I've discovered this over the years, that sometimes 
We can talk about sin out there. We live in an awful sinful world. We live in a wicked world. We live in a perverse world. You don't need to come to Cumber Baptist Church to hear that this morning. You know that. You're sensible people. You listen to the news. You read newspapers. Not all of them, I trust. Sometimes we can look at sin away out there and forget that there's sin in here. I've used it before, the story of the grandfather clock. The hands on the clock were showing the wrong time. And everybody was complaining. And someone came along and put a little notice on the clock and said, Don't blame us. The problem lies deeper. Don't blame us. The problem lies deeper. You see, sin in my life needs to be dealt with. I need to keep short accounts with God. Sin in the life of the individual must be dealt with if one is to enjoy the fullness of God's blessing in one's life. We must not think lightly of sin. The world laughs at sin. The world makes a joke about sin. The world uses sin to entertain one another. Sin has been and always will be an offense to a holy God. And even though the world treats sin with no measure of seriousness as something to be courted, played at, laughed at, we dare not view it like that. Not for a moment. And until we come to appreciate the heinousness of sin, we will never want to have done with it. How we need to pray that God will increasingly impart to us an awareness of how he hates sin. Wasn't it Robert Murray McShane who prayed often, Lord, give me a holy hatred of sin and make me as holy as a saved sinner could be. Is it so easy for you and me to point out sin in someone else's life and yet within our own hearts there is lurking a sin that is so easily besetting us. And how we need to come often to God, as David came in Psalm 51, humbly with a broken and contrite heart and ask God for mercy. How we need to be unlike the Pharisee who came to the house of God. And the Bible says he prayed with himself. Or he prayed to himself. And this is how he prayed. God, I thank you I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers. Or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And Jesus Christ said that he would hope the way he committed. His prayer never rose above the ceiling. He didn't pray to God. He prayed about himself before God. And there was a sense in which it maybe was true. He wasn't an extortioner. He wasn't unjust. He wasn't an adulterer. And probably he lived a better life maybe than this publican or this tax collector as some translations have it. But he didn't see himself in the light of God's eternal life. And the publican did. And the publican's response was simply this. God, 
be merciful to me, a sinner. In a few moments, we're going to remember the Lord Jesus and the breaking of bread. And we're going to remember him this morning because God is merciful to sinners. And where will we be this morning if God's mercy had not sought us and found us and touched us and cleansed us from our sin? There is a battle awaiting the God of Jehovah and the gods of Baal. That's for another day. But I want you to see and sense this morning the preparation for this contest in the false accusation, in the fearless denunciation, and in the forceful proposition. May God write his word upon our hearts this morning for which we give him thanks. Let's pray. Father, we realize this morning that we cannot hide from you, that your word searches our hearts. And we thank you that you are a God who not only points out iniquity and sin, but you're, God, you're a God who provides mercy and grace that is greater than all our sin. And so as we have listened to your word this morning, we pray that you'll help us to apply it to our hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to work it out in our lives every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake. Amen.